I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Hi, Amy. Hi, Lisa. For those who haven't heard about Ayurveda, can you start by offering a description of it and how you discovered it? Sure. So Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. It is a system of holistic medicine that originated in India about 5,000 years ago. So it, it grew up with yoga. The word Ayurveda literally translates as life science or life wisdom. And it gives us tools or practices to use daily to allow our body's own natural healing potential to ignite. It really honors the wisdom of the body and that the body knows what to do if we just support it or provide the the most optimum environment or if we just get out of the way. You can say Ayurveda and yoga are two sides of the same coin. It's such a beautiful union. I've heard it said that yoga is this science of learning to let go, learning to let go of habitual thoughts and actions that don't support our best well-being. And Ayurveda is this science of life that is adding in nourishing lifestyle guidelines and options to increase vitality. Yes, absolutely. I love that you said increase vitality. When I think of Ayurveda, the word vitality always comes to mind. Oh, and that's one of my North Stars. I'm always thinking about how can I feel like, how can I feel more alive? We're a society that is sleep deprived and busy. And we'll get into that. We'll get into how Ayurveda can help increase our our vitality. How did you discover Ayurveda? How did you happen to come across it? I am a registered nurse. Um, I've been a registered nurse for about 22 years. And so I've always been interested in the healing arts, healthcare, improving health, improving vitality, going back to that word, and was really brought up in the Western medicine realm. You know, initially came to it because I really wanted to help people and I wanted to be a part of their journey back to health. But as I spent years in working in the hospital, I've worked in the emergency departments and also in some procedural areas. You know, over the years, I found that my patients weren't getting any better. You know, well, you would think that we hear all the time about the advances in healthcare or new medications or um, new techniques, new research, you know, and I would think, I was thinking over this period of time, wow, my patients should be a lot healthier. But what I was seeing was my patients were getting sicker and sicker and they were younger and younger. And I wasn't feeling that fulfillment anymore. I didn't feel like I was making as much of a difference in people's health and wellness. And this was my full-time job. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what I was doing every day. And 
so I was kind of having a crisis of faith. You know, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my career? When I, you know, and I began looking, just seeking, reading about other modalities, other forms of healthcare, you know, more holistic avenues to help support the body. Started practicing yoga for myself because I really liked the way people looked who said they practiced yoga, you know, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I came to yoga wanting uh, wanting to change how my body looked. And really anyone who's practiced yoga for any short period of time knows that it, the effects can be on your body, but yoga actually has much a much deeper effect on our on our mind and our heart and our spirit. And so came to Ayurveda through the avenue of yoga. And so once I started practicing yoga, I was like, wow, this is real. I really, I, I really am drawn to this, how I feel after practicing yoga, how my emotions are, how my heart feels and how my body feels. And my yoga studio was putting on an Ayurvedic workshop one Saturday. And I was like, oh, Ayurveda, I've read about that, mostly around cooking, using food to food as medicine. And that really intrigued me because everyone eats every day and hopefully every day. And, you know, to be able to change your health through the simple act of eating or how you eat or what you eat really intrigued me. It was very non-invasive. And I was seeing the effects of what people were eating, how detrimental that could be on, on one's health. You know, all the lifestyle diseases that I was seeing in the hospital as far as like diabetes and cancer and high blood pressure could be traced back to some part of a dietary component. And so I was very interested in food as medicine, was beginning to read books about Ayurveda, um, how you could use food to improve your health. Then my yoga studio was putting on this workshop and I was like, oh, I'm free. It's Saturday afternoon. I I like health and (laughs) I think I'll go check this out. And I signed up for this. It was an intro to Ayurveda workshop. And the teacher really just spent a lot of the workshop talking about how Ayurveda had changed her life. I was captivated. You know, she talked about the practices that she was doing, the daily practices as far as a morning routine to begin her day. And then um, practices around food as far as eating, how she was eating and when she was eating and some of what she was eating, but that's very individualized. And then her nighttime routines. And she, looking at her, she was, she was full of vitality you know, and she was, she was not young. She was an older woman and, and she was just the epitome of health. She was the best advertisement for Ayurveda that, mm. that I could have seen at the time was really blown away by the fact that you could heal your body. You could heal chronic diseases that I had always been taught in Western medicine that you, you had to take medications for the rest of your life. Opening my eyes that even if you had been diagnosed with a chronic disease, you didn't have to suffer the consequences maybe of that. You, Ayurveda doesn't treat symptoms, but actually looks for the root cause of a disease and seeks to eradicate the disease from the root. And I'm going to ask you how specifically Ayurveda has supported you in your life, what lifestyle changes and what techniques you actively use. But I'd like to go back to your days in the emergency room. 
What was that job like for you? And what effects did that have on your psyche, your system, your body? Yeah. So I worked in the emergency room, various emergency departments around where I live and across the country for, you know, around 20 years. And I was drawn to it because I really wanted to make a difference. You know, I wanted to really be there when somebody really, really needed me. You know, I started when I was younger and more energetic and Mm -hmm. being in the emergency department for that long really took a toll on my my physical body you know running around for 12 hours three to four days a week without breaks without going to the bathroom without eating or maybe if you ate you stood at the desk while you were charting and seeing a lot of the worst parts of humanity some days it, it really began to take a toll on my psyche that it never ended you know it wasn't like things got better your shift just ended really. Um, Mm -hmm. But you knew going back into it that you would have another 12 hours of the worst that society may have to offer at that time or seeing what happens when people don't have access to healthcare. You know, we were the end of the line a lot of times for untreated chronic diseases. And that was very defeating as well because we live in a society that should be taking care of our people. And a lot of people still don't have access to healthcare. So you would see the end result of untreated high blood pressure and untreated diabetes. And that was very defeating for me mm-hmm. to want to make a difference in people's health. And I'm getting them at the 13th hour, not really feeling like I could make a difference because the system was so broken. The resilience of nurses is amazing. What's in you that caused you to go into that profession in the first place? Have you always wanted to help and support others? I come from a long line of nurses. Um, my mother was a nurse, is a nurse. My grandmother was a nurse. She never went to school for nursing, but she was really a pivotal person taking care of my father who had a chronic illness from a small child. And she was the reason why he is still alive. And so I come from a long line of caregivers. I grew up in a household that my my father had um, chronic kidney disease and ended up on dialysis in his 30s. Then my parents adopted a baby when I was about eight or nine years old. They adopted a baby out of the NICU who needed a home. And he came, he had a lot of chronic illnesses as well. So I, from a young age, I was around chronic disease and learned how to participate in caring for those around me. And it just seemed familiar and like a natural fit that that's what I would go into as my career. It does take a a different kind of person to be able to run towards the crisis as opposed to call somebody, you know, Mm -hmm, (laughs) and mm -hmm, say, can you you take care of this? And do these qualities extend into your life? Are you a caregiver to those around you? I would say yes. Yes. When I have the energy, um, Yes, I feel like I am a caregiver. And sometimes, you know, that can be a detriment, you know, to be always on caring for others Mm -hmm. um, and putting others before myself. And that was a, that was a big lesson for me to learn that there is a time and a place where I, I need to put myself first. I think that's what Ayurveda taught me. Nobody will take care of me as well as I need to take care of myself. That is one of the gifts that Ayurveda has taught me as a caregiver is I can still care for others, 
but I also need to put myself right up there at the top so that I can, I can then serve, you know, from a stronger foundation. Such a powerful lesson and one that people might not think that you're going to get from the science of life, from Ayurveda. And that leads me right into how have the practices of Ayurveda specifically supported you and the burnout that you experienced after all of those years, working those hours, working in emergency rooms, serving others? When I was seeking to learn more about Ayurveda, I was simultaneously facing a real burnout crisis, not just in my job, but, you know, caring for those around me and taking on more than I should. And I was really, you know, we have this idea that there's a certain amount of pride around working really hard or working harder than others. And I had a lot of that. And I really thought that that's why I was working so hard. And I wanted to make sure that those around me were, were taken care of. And there was always work to do. And so I was always working extra and, and really burnt myself to the ground. Didn't feel good physically. You know, I was tired. I felt like I was aging quickly. Um, I was feeling more anxiety. And I thankfully went to an Ayurvedic practitioner to seek care for myself. She began to teach me that it was okay to not do all these things to begin with. And it was okay to let others do for themselves, which as a mother or as a daughter or as a friend was very powerful for me initially to even think that I could give myself permission to let others care for themselves um, because I was a nurse. I was a caregiver. That's what I did. I stepped in. I cared for people, but to my own detriment. So my Ayurvedic practitioner was instrumental in first allowing me to let others do for themselves when they could, when they were able to, and then began to layer in practices for me around meditation, around foods that supported me, around eating in a different way, because working in the emergency department, I was used to eating on the run, eating, standing up, eating you know, in three minutes, eating in a break room that was very loud and stressed and very overstimulated and just small things that I could do to calm my nervous system throughout the day. Even though I was still working in a very busy emergency room, there were small little things that I could begin to layer in, like going away from the department for even 15 minutes to eat my food alone in silence. Um, to allow a little bit of my parasympathetic system to activate. Even knowing I was going back to a very busy department for another six hours or so, um, or walking around the building, you know, once or twice, just to be outside, to connect with nature or the noises of nature, driving to work from the time I woke up until the time I entered the hospital were times that I would spend in silence with no radio, no TV, nothing, just quiet time to build a foundation, you know, build a little bit of peace and calm before entering, you know, what was going to be a very loud, noisy, busy environment, you know, giving my senses a break and then driving home in the same way, driving home in silence with no radio, with no radio, no music, um, you know, not talking on the phone, 
just to allow my body to kind of decompensate then at the end of a busy time. All these practices were accessible. They were free. I was already eating. I was already driving, but just changing up the way I was doing certain things really begin to have a big difference on my emotions, on my stress level. And then because these little tweaks were having such a powerful effect, I wanted to then add so many more things, of course, you know, we, if we want one thing, we want 50 things. So um, Mm -hmm. I began to add on more and more Ayurvedic practices and just saw my own health, my own emotional well-being really just bloom by incorporating Ayurveda into my life. You're speaking so powerfully because I think it's really good for people to know that they don't have to quit their job necessarily. They don't have to change everything. And that's why sometimes these new ideas around health can seem overwhelming. I'm already so busy and now you want me to change everything about my diet and everything about my schedule. But what I'm hearing you say is that you can continue to work in that busy job, but Ayurveda is looking at us in this holistic way. They're not just looking at the symptoms. Ayurveda looks at our bodies and our energy levels, our emotions and the quality of our thoughts and offers subtle lifestyle tweaks, as you say, so that we can continue to show up for the work that we do in the world, for the people in our lives and for ourselves. But we can add on just concepts and insights, some very small changes that can add up to some very big differences. And you you mentioned that one of the reasons that you could tell that you were out of balance is because you were experiencing anxiety. And in the next episode, we'll talk about that that's my path is I, I came to yoga because it helped me to conquer this long battle with disordered anxiety. And knowing what I know now about yoga and Ayurveda, I can look back and it's not just because I was stressed and there were worries in my mind. It's anxiety was also there because of what I was eating and when I was eating and how I was eating and the schedule that I was keeping. But of course, I didn't know at the time. So I think it's powerful for people to know that you're not saying you have to give your diet an entire overhaul. You're saying small incremental changes and really more importantly, more information. Ayurveda Mm -hmm. empowers people to take responsibility for their lives and just make small changes for for big, big impact. Absolutely. Ayurveda is all about education. Um, You know, you can only make the changes for yourself. You you could hire a trainer or you could hire a coach, but ultimately you're the one who has to do the work and make the changes. And so Ayurveda is very rooted in education, you know, giving you the tools, giving you the practices, but ultimately you have to do them for yourself. I have a working knowledge of Ayurveda just from what I learned in various yoga teacher trainings over the past decade. And now I'm ensconced in this yoga therapy program. So it's also looking at people through an Ayurvedic lens. And what I know is that one of the roots of the practice is looking at people's constitutions or their doshas. And so I thought we'd talk a little bit about this. I know that Ayurveda believes that there are 
three main constitutions that everybody contains. We all contain pitta and vata and kapha. And each of us is born with a specific constitution. And then that changes in our life, depending on how old we are, where we live, uh, the, the season, what we're eating, and our lifestyle choices. And Ayurveda is all about bringing us back into harmony with that initial constitution. And it does so with food and various other techniques. So can you talk a little bit more about the doshic system? Sure. So you had talked about the constitution that we are born with, um, and that's called your prakruti. You said we have va- everyone has vata, pitta, and kapha in them. We all carry those three constitutions in us to varying levels. And we are born with a maybe a, a dominant one or two. And some of us are born with all three that are very much in the same ratio, and that's called tridoshic. But typically, you are born or conceived with one or two of those being dominant. So you might have a dominant vata dosha or a dominant pitta dosha or a combination of, of two. And that determines your long-term tendencies, what you typically go to as far as um, your digestion or your emotions or how you tolerate stress. And then as you're exposed to the world throughout life, maybe a different dosha becomes out of balance or shows up more in your life. So you could be born with a, a vata pitta prakruti from conception. And that determines like how long your bones are and the shape of your face and um, maybe the, the depth of, of how your eyes are seated. But then as you're exposed to the world, a different dosha may become imbalanced. And that's called your vikruti. And so being born with a vata pitta constitution, you might be surprised that you might have a, a kappa imbalance. And that, that can be very surprising to people because when they learn about the doshas, they begin to self-identify with their prakriti. Not, not keeping in mind that maybe... A different, an entirely different dosha could be causing you distress in your digestion or change in your emotions or uh, a difference in your weight, either weight gain or weight loss. And so we look at both. We look at the prakriti, what is your constitution from birth? And then we also look at your vikruti, what is going on today? What is affecting you today and what might be out of balance today? And that's what we typically want to bring back into balance is your vikruti. Even if you're strongly, if you're a strongly pitta constitution and you have a vata imbalance, we're going to focus on the vata imbalance, um, which can be hard for people because they really identify with their prakriti, what they, what have, what have they been like from birth? Let's put the doshas into context a little bit by talking more about them and how they relate to you and I. What Mm -hmm. I know about the dosha pitta is that we can relate it to the element of fire. And when out of balance, pitta is overheated and maybe prone to irritability. Um, Mm -hmm. I have been told by an Ayurvedic practitioner that 
My natural constitution is pitta, but vata can easily become imbalanced. Now, looking at vata, so many of us in the modern world struggle with vata imbalance. Vata can be related to the element of air. So when we're feeling really busy in the mind, mind is chaotic. Um, we don't feel grounded at all. We would be perhaps dealing with a vata imbalance. And for those 15 years that I suffered with anxiety disorder, I know now that that was a big vata imbalance. And I wasn't offering myself any grounding practices whatsoever. The way that I was living was worsening the imbalance of vata. And then kapha, um, what I understand is that the element associated with that is earth. So it's heavier and in balance, somebody with a kapha constitution is very grounded and takes the next right action. It's somebody that you can really count on, but out of balance, it can be more uh, depressive states and stagnant and inert. And mm -hmm. what I want to share is I'm having an experience right now of where I live in the season that it is pulling these different imbalances because when I was feeling very anxious, I was looked at by an Ayurvedic practitioner as pitta with vata imbalance. And that makes sense to me because I've always been very driven and motivated. If you read about some of the physical attributes of somebody who's pitta, you know, I line up with some of those. But um, when I was very anxious, digestion was very poor. And if you think about the element associated with vata, air, dry, just like fall is the season of vata, and you've explained this so well when we teach together. Think about the dryness in the air and the dryness of the leaves. So we can all become a little bit vata imbalanced in fall. But here where I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, we're in the rainy, damp season. And rather than snowing in the winter, it tends to rain for weeks and months at a time. And I, I love to live here because I have found that I feel more comfortable in a humid climate. Living mm -hmm. in a drier climate, which I also have done in my life, feels very aggravating to me. I, I don't feel as good in that climate. But where I live now, all through the summer, it, it feels wonderful. But once the clouds roll in and it starts to rain, I do struggle with motivating myself. I do struggle with inviting vitality and energy. And I recently took a quiz, and, and we can include uh, a quiz in the show notes of this episode so that people, if they're interested, can find out about their dosha. But I've been taking them recently in this time of my life, and I've been coming up a little bit more tridoshic. And that does make sense to me because at different times in the year, I can feel a pull of the different doshas moving out of balance. And specifically at this time of year, I can feel that earthy, heavy pull, pulling me to the couch, pulling mm -hmm. me um, in the direction of, of choosing foods and um, situations that keep me from, from this natural drive that I know I have to create in the world. So what mm -hmm. would you say to somebody like me? Well, how you've so beautifully described the environment that you're in right now, you know, can be very kappa aggravating. And kappa is also associated with the element water. So kappa is made up of earth and water. And what you 
have just described perfectly this rainy season you know you're feeling that very damp heavy earthy in environment around you and you know we know what happens when you combine water and earth you get mud right <laughs> and you get stuck in the mud literally and figuratively when we talk about kappa seasons we feel heavy we we see what's going on in the environment outside our window and we feel that in our body it's harder to get motivated to go work out or to go to yoga or to get up and do work because we're feeling inside our bodies and inside our minds also what we're seeing right outside our window that heavy damp environment that's also going on around us. Like you said, you didn't feel comfortable in environments that were drier. You know, maybe if if one wanted to think of like the Southwest of the United States or the desert, that can be very Vata aggravating because it's hot and dry. And Vata is already dry, like you said, with the association with the air and also the ether element Vata is associated with. So Vata is already very light and dry and mobile. And you stick somebody who has a Vata, either constitution or imbalance in an environment like that, they're going to feel even more Vata because Vata is swirling all around them outside. It's dry. It's, it's hot in the Southwest. Vata can do okay with the heat, but it can't be too dry because Vata is already dry. The same as you said with it being Vata season in the fall, we see that dryness in the leaves, you know, as they as they fall from the trees and that swirling wind as the as the wind begins to blow outside, we can feel that then in our bodies and in our minds. Yeah, one of the and most then, one of the most powerful things that I've learned from you is when it comes to balancing the quality of your movement to look outside to understand what's going on there and how that might support whatever exercise you're going to do or yoga practice that you're going to do. For instance, right now, rain, wet, I might want to add some fire. I might want to add some heat. I might want to stay a little bit longer in my yoga postures. And so that's what I want to get to. Let's talk more about what it might look like if one of these doshas is imbalanced and a couple of things that we can do in order to heal that. And and let's start with, with me. What can I do on those mornings where I'm feeling stuck in the mud or I'm feeling a little bit more challenged to get moving. Thinking about the qualities of, of what you're seeing outside. So the qualities where what you're describing right now around you are heavy and dense and inert. And the way to bring balance is to bring in the opposite qualities. So like you said, bringing in something that's hotter, that's mo more movement, um, that's creating more heat in the body qualities, staying in yoga postures longer, doing maybe something that's less restorative and more vinyasa based if you're talking about yoga, like more movement to get that kapha moving out of the body would be the perfect thing for you right now. Um, I love restorative yoga, but that's not what is called upon when kapha is aggravated. Pittas, you know, if somebody has a pitta imbalance, they need more re restorative yoga. They have too much fire in them and they need to cool off a little bit and not create as much heat because they already have heat in them. And isn't it true and, that we're so called to 
sometimes exactly what we don't need. A pitta person who's very driven and who's fiery, I know for myself, I was all about feeling the burn, working out to extreme back in the day. Absolutely. And and there has to be some compassion in that too, because you're drawn to what is familiar to you. It feels familiar because you're already on fire to do things that are fiery. If you are a strongly pitta person, you most likely like hot, spicy food and hot yoga, and you like to work yourself way harder than everyone else. And But that's because that's what's familiar to you. Now, what you need is a little bit less of that, but but yes, absolutely. You are drawn to what is familiar to you. And what does a vata imbalance tend to look like? Because I often hear you teach about that, really, this is something that we can all relate to. This is something that we can all work to heal. Our society is so vata aggravating uh, for everyone, not just somebody who has a strong vata constitution. There is so much noise and stimulus and color and talking and, you know, our phones are always going off and we don't spend a lot of time without all that overstimulation. So our society as a whole is very vata aggravating. Our vata constitution is made up of that air and ether elements. And so they are moving all the time. Their minds are moving all the time. Their bodies are moving all the time. They're the ones that might not be able to sit still or they talk really fast and they're very vibrant and very excited about everything. Um, And you can kind of see that in our society in general. We talk fast, we talk loud, we talk a lot. We're excited about everything. As a society at whole, we are very vata aggravated. Trying to recommend to people to maybe slow it down or do less or be more, like you said, be more grounded, more grounding practices, more restorative practices um, can really go a long way to helping balance a vata imbalance. And I want to speak to the self-compassion piece that you mentioned, because hearing you talk about vata imbalance, it it makes me laugh. And you must think that sometimes when we teach together, oh, Lisa's vata is a little bit up because definitely getting (laughs) excited about every little thing and mind full of plans. But it's so important because I know this about myself and I also know what I need to do in order to take care of that, what is pushing it out of balance and what is bringing it back home, what is reining it in. And that's where the self-compassion piece is so important because I think the last thing that a lot of us need is more rules. Those of us who are interested in bringing ourselves back into balance, who are interested in holistic health, we are reading constantly, okay, what do I eat? What do I do? And it can feel overwhelming. And it can also be guilt inducing if we're not doing the things that we know we're supposed to do for good health. And I I struggle with that because I understand that to balance vata, that was such an issue with me, a a painful issue for so many years, completely living in fear. I know that one of the ways to rein that in is to ground by setting a schedule for myself eating at similar times of the day and going to sleep at similar times of the day. And that's a huge paradigm shift for me. That's very different than how I've lived. And and I have a schedule that can sometimes be erratic, like many of us do. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to eat 
at certain times and eat by a certain time in the evening. But I know that's so big. Um, not eating all day and then having your biggest meal in the evening. I know that that can play havoc on my constitution, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. But important to also say that when it does happen, it's probably better to enjoy that quote unquote, you know, food that's unskillful in a relaxed state with self-compassion, enjoying every single bite or every single sip rather than doing something that you might know isn't incredibly helpful for your well-being, but feeling so guilty about doing it in the first place. I think that the self-compassion piece is huge when it comes to making these changes around our diet and our life schedule. This stuff is pretty charged. This stuff this stuff is so connected to our emotions as well, especially when you talk about what and how we're eating. Yeah, layering on guilt and shame is not helpful <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and really having that self-compassion that you are unique. There is not one person in the universe that is exactly like you. And so the way you eat or what you do or the movement that you choose every day needs to be, I have said many times, you may have experienced a diet fad or a workout that's worked really well for somebody you know, and you try it and it doesn't work for you at all. And that can be very self-defeating. And it's not because you didn't do it just as well or better than anyone else. It's because you're unique and that works well for them. Great for them. But really finding what it is that works for you. Routine is so important for Vata. Vatas thrive in routine. They don't like routine because they're creatives. They like to live in the moment and they like to be inspired and they like to, you know, follow that beautiful thing. They thrive in routine. It's not what they like or what they're drawn to, but that's where they really, you know, blossom. So you're saying Um, that the last three nights when I was writing and I was feeling so incredibly creative and so I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning just writing, writing because I I was feeling this creative rush that might not have been the best thing to balance my vata. Is that that what I'm hearing? I am saying that that you look upon those last three nights as a beautiful experience Mm -hmm. and maybe the next three nights you balance it with a lovely bedtime routine Mm -hmm. that not looking back and saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But looking forward and being like, you know, I spent some nights up late doing this thing that I love and I was so inspired. But I know that my body and my mind need balance. So maybe the next three nights, I put myself to bed like I would a young child. Mm -hmm. And I get eight or nine or even 10 hours of sleep the next couple nights to really honor what my body needs. I have done this great creative project. And I have really been on fire with that. But I need to recognize and honor that my body can't do that for a a long time. And it's going to start to affect me in other areas if I don't really take care of, of my sleep and my rest. When it comes to what you and I both teach, this word balance is essential. Also, it's gentle. And hearing the way that you spoke there and suggestions on how we can speak to ourselves and our own minds when we know that we're making choices that perhaps don't support the way that we'll feel the next day. 
the way that you were speaking there is unusual. We haven't been taught to speak to ourselves in that kind way, to speak to ourselves like we would to somebody that we loved who came to us and said, oh, I, I know that I haven't been eating in the way that supports me, but I've been busy and I've, and I've had to go and pick this up and pick this up. We'd say to a friend, you know, it's okay. This is what you need to do right now. This is what life looks like right now. Forgive yourself and move on. But we would never or very rarely speak to ourselves that way. And of course, we know there's lots of reasons for that. The thoughts that we have and the quality of thoughts that we have, they're they're not our fault. We've learned how to be hard on ourselves. We've learned that we need to do this, that, and the other and tick this box off and achieve this item on our to-do list in order to be approved of, in order to be good. And this is a big piece in mm. our life is how are we treating ourselves in our own mind? We're talking to ourselves more than anybody else is talking to us usually. And it's a piece to look at when it comes to gently coming back into balance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it really is how are we speaking to ourselves as if we were speaking to someone that we loved. And in Ayurveda is all about loving ourselves and honoring ourselves just as we are and not using this negative self-talk or shaming ourselves or chastising ourselves. You know, we do live in the moment and using the example of, I know I, I probably am not making the best choice with what I'm eating right now, but it's just, you know, this is what I have, or this is the amount of time I have, or this is the food that's available to me. Not shaming yourself in that instance, but saying, I am recognizing that and I am going to eat it in a manner that I could absorb every last available nutrient and I'm going to put it down when I'm done with it. I'm going to set myself up for my next meal, maybe in a different way. And that feels very different than eating something being like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. I shouldn't be eating Mm -hmm. this. Oh, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm such a bad person and Mm -hmm. I don't know why I can't get it together. And, you know, just this constant dialogue that we have in our head. Mm -hmm. There are moments where all of us make decisions that we know might not be the best for us, but recognizing that and then just trying something different next time has a very different feel to me than beating myself up in the moment. Oh, yeah. And when we're in shame and guilt, especially when it's around something that we might be eating, I'm sure that others can relate. If I'm feeling guilty about going back to the cookie box uh, because (laughs) a couple wasn't enough, then I notice that I'm almost I'm eating really quick. Like I I just want to hurry up and have it have it be gone. It's it's almost like hiding it from myself. You're also speaking to this other side of self-care and self-love that's evolving in me and it's taken me a long time to understand. We can think that we're loving ourselves and we're caring for ourselves when we're allowing ourselves pleasure and rest. And that is absolutely true. But Mm -hmm. another aspect of loving ourselves is believing that I'm worthy enough of health. This This has been a big thing for me, believing that I'm worthy enough to not have a cookie just because I want to. And that is, for me, the paradigm shift because I think for many years, loving myself meant, well, I can have that cookie. You know, it's like a reward. It's like something that we deserve. I can be so hard on myself when it comes to diet because we learn what is right for us. We learn what is bad 
we learn that this whole category of foods is bad. And so if we eat that, then it must mean that we're bad. I had it in my mind that eating the foods that I wanted in the moment and that it felt restrictive and constrictive and almost like self-loathing if I wasn't allowing myself the yummiest foods. But maybe a loving action is not to go back and have that other cookie. And that doesn't have to be restrictive and an act of self-hatred. But maybe what I need to learn is that I'm worthy of balancing my health and that I'm worthy of having a body that isn't having to work so hard to process additional sugar. Yeah, really having a a loving conversation with your body or having a loving relationship with your body and listening for the voice of what your body wants or needs. And I don't think we give ourselves enough opportunity to actually listen or honor what our body wants or needs, whether it's more sleep or more movement or that cookie. Sometimes our body wants or needs that cookie and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, having a much closer relationship with the body, a much love, more loving relationship with the body. I feel like I'm really moving into that space as well of really loving my body like a loved one you know, like really wanting to take care of my body, like I would want to take care of a loved one and not want to talk to my body negatively or think about my body negatively, but wanting to give it all the things that I would want to give one of my children. You know, I want to to care for my body the way I would want to nourish my children. I wouldn't want to speak or think about someone I love the way sometimes I have tended in the past to speak about my body or think about my body. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's and it's such a far reach for so many of us. It reminds me of another quote from a great teacher of yoga, BKS Ayengar, who described the body as a child of the soul. And I like to think about it that way as well. But talking to our body like a loved one at one point felt very foreign to me because like me, I know that a lot of people feel they're not they're we're just not in touch with how our body is feeling. And when I was in the midst of an anxiety disorder, I was afraid to feel what was going on in my body. And I wasn't considering how different foods made me feel. It was certainly just all about taste and all about convenience. So that can feel like a long road for those of us who don't have a relationship where we're noticing and feeling what's in our body. And that's why both yoga and Ayurveda are so incredible for those of us who do struggle with anxiety and depression and are feeling dissociated from our bodies. And we have a lot of reasons why we don't want to feel what's going on in our bodies, because that can be very scary to so many of us. So I can imagine that, that hearing you talk about speaking to our body like we would a loved one and treating our body like a beloved would feel like a, a stretch for some people, especially if we're just realizing that maybe it's a good idea to feel our body in the first place, to feel our feet on the ground. It's a newer concept for me. You know, I'm, I'll be 48 this week and just really starting to have a, a conversation with my body you know, has, has been a newer conversation to have for me. Um, 
it was definitely something I've not practiced for many years. And for it to be a stretch for anyone, I get it. It's a, it was a stretch for me as well. It's such a nice place now to be in to want to care for my body and and want to provide for my body in whatever ways it needs. It has brought a whole nother level of self-love for me in a different way, much different than I ever have experienced it in the past. It's such a privilege to be able to get to this midlife point. You mentioned you're about to be 48 and I'll be 47 in a few months. And I think that for a lot of us, once we get to midlife, we start to open up to bringing insights and more wisdom into how to live for greatest well-being. And speaking of yourself, what dosha are you? What What is your individual blend of doshas and, and what do you do to balance yourself? My constitution from conception is strongly and evenly pitta I do have a strong drive. I think very logically. I like things to go from point A to point B, which is a very pitta thing. But I have the physicalities of a kappa. Um, I have a softer body type, if you will. I have um, really thick hair. I have a big heart. I'm a caregiver by not only nature, but as a career, which is a very kappa a strong kappa characteristic. I can tend towards lethargy and want to sleep all the time. And that is a very kappa thing. But I have very pitta in the mind. I like projects. I like to complete projects. I like, I'm a hard worker and I, I can be hard on people around me if they aren't working with the same motivation that I feel sometimes. But with all of that being said, that's my constitution from conception. Now, as I am closer to 48, that midlife, or maybe even, you know, past midlife, hopefully it's midlife, um, (laughs) I am moving into the vata stage of life. And I can feel that I have more movement in the mind now than I ever had before, as far as a little touch of anxiety now that's unexpected and maybe even a little bit of a spaciness, um, that air and ether coming in line. If I am not really rigid about times that I eat, I can really get spacey if I go too long without eating. Oh, you're speaking to something else that is so interesting, especially when it comes to relationships. That's right. There is a relation to the different times of our lives and the different doshas. So is it correct that it's it's children, very kapha, right? Very, you know, mucusy and yeah. <laughs> there's yes. that wet and that earth and there's and they're present and they're that, plump right. and they're solid and they're, you know, you look at a toddler's body and you know, they're you just want to squeeze them. They kind of have that Pillsbury dough type body. Um, and that's very kappa, you know, they're, and like you said, they're mucousy. They're very, um, <laughs> you know, that's the age. Kappa age is from birth to puberty. And then pitta age is from puberty to menopause or retirement. And um, that's the time that we're driven, we're building, we're creating, we're building families and homes and careers and businesses and, you know, there's a real fire in our belly to do things and accomplish things. And then the Vata stage of life is from menopause or retirement to death. And 
That's when we feel more of that air and ether. We're much more contemplative. We're living in the mind. Um, we feel that dryness in our skin and in our bones and in our digestive system. We can have digestive issues that we never struggled with through our whole lives. And then we enter the Vata stage of life and you might listen to your grandparents talk about their bowel habits more often. And that's a thing, you know, mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. you move into the Vata stage of life and, mm -hmm. you know, you see that air and ether element take root in our bones as osteoporosis sets in. And um, so you can see it really see tangible evidence throughout the different stages of life of the doshas and how, even if your constitution is something still recognizing that there are doshic times of life and how they can affect all people everywhere. Yeah, Ayurveda has been really instrumental in helping to heal my digestive system. And hearing you talk about the pitta years, I can see that those were the pitta years, but I can see how that vata dysfunction in those pitta years got me off track. And it's almost like now I'm heading into the vata years, but I'm needing more of the constitution of Pitta because now I've grounded myself in the work that I'm doing and I've been able to let go of the disordered anxiety that kept me from a lot of my life. And Ayurveda supports me in all of those ways. But when it comes to digestion, yeah, the dryness is definitely what sometimes can keep digestion stuck. And mm -hmm. the anxiety for me, that vata dysfunction, I felt that in my digestive system. So on a practical level, eating warming foods, you know, e eating foods that are lubricating that digestive system, if you will, have been so helpful for me and mm -hmm. eating at regular times as well. Yeah, really letting the body know what's coming, you know, that the, the body doesn't need to question when your next meal is coming or um, but just providing routine to your digestion. And I can see how thinking doshically could also be important for relationships, you know, understanding what dosha our children are in or our partnerships. And I'm thinking about you and I, we've created a partnership and we tour together and offer a workshop that blends yoga and Ayurveda. And hearing you talk about your dosha, I think that we're probably pretty complementary in a lot of different ways because mm -hmm. I can have vata in the mind where it's plan, 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 plan. And you're able mm -hmm. to ground that and be very deliberate in that. But I can also see how if you were pitta, very high pitta, and you were in a relationship with another pitta, there could be yeah. a lot of fire. There, That could oh, be yeah. combustible. <laughs> they burn the house down. <laughs> How has knowing about the doshas affected you and your relationships with the people in your life? I am, you know, like I had mentioned, I am Pitta Kappa. And my husband is strongly Pitta. His Pitta is different than mine, though. His Pitta is much more prominent than any other dosha for him. And my Kappa balances that. And so he is very motivated as far as like keeping order in the house. And, and to me, I'm like, eh, all right. You know, and when he becomes more Pitta and his Pitta is really aggravated, my Kappa nature can be somewhat soothing to him. So we motivate each other in different ways. He is really into routine. And when my Kappa is very strong, I can binge Netflix all day. And it, we balance each other. We motivate each other. I keep him grounded and he keeps me going. 
And it's really brought another level of compassion to our relationship to recognize that we're different and we bring different things to our relationship. Ayurveda is really bringing the spotlight to that we're all unique and it's our nature to be the way that we are and to have such love and compassion for our true nature and not to try to change each other. It's his nature to be one way and it's my nature to be another way and to really honor that between each other. Hmm. What would your advice be to somebody who's listening and recognizes that they're perhaps vata, lots of mind stuff, chaos in the mind, not feeling as grounded as they could, and they're in a relationship or a great friendship with somebody who's similar in that, or to two pittas, or to two mm-hmm. to, to people who are in a relationship that are in the same dosha? What are, what are some tips that you would give from a relationship level? Well, from a relationship level, I don't know that there are any right or wrong doshic combinations, but to really because you could have two vatas in a relationship and one could be very balanced and one could be very unbalanced, but really returning to the individual and honoring what is right for you may not even be right for your partner. Even if you have a very similar doshic makeup to really honor your routines around your eating, your sleeping, your meditation, your movement, your activity, so that you can be your best you coming into the relationship and the same for the other to honor what is best for them because what is best for them might not be what's best for you and returning to the individual first in the relationship and finding what that is that supports your best mental and physical health, emotional health, so that as you partner with somebody, you're bringing your best self forward. Just great relationship advice with or without Ayurveda. It's like putting your own oxygen mask on first, right? Setting the boundaries. So even though we're tempted to take care of everybody else before we take care of ourselves, um, reminding ourselves to know what's best for us, take care of our own thoughts and our own emotions, and then we have the best chance of showing up fully to the people in our lives. Yeah, I hear that. A work in progress for sure. Life's work. (laughs) Depending on when this podcast is listened to, it will be a different time of year. So a different dosha will be observed outside. But we're recording this right at the beginning of the holiday season in 2018. So a lot of people in the street shopping, uh, a very busy time and a lot of travel coming up. You and I travel often to teach together And we know that that can really push vata, the airy, ether quality in our systems and in our lives. So what do we need to know when we have some travel on the calendar? So travel in general aggravates vata more so than any any other dosha. It invigorates kapha because it's breaking up the routine, providing a little bit of spontaneity for kapha. Vata and somewhat pitta aggravating um, travel can be. So really doubling down on practices for vata, if that's an imbalance that you struggle with. When people travel, they can, they can find that their digestion is almost immediately disrupted. Yep. 
And I think most people can relate to that. And if you think about if you're flying somewhere for travel, you are literally putting your body in the air and the ether. Mm -hmm. So it is extremely drying on so many levels that we don't even realize. And you hear even, oh, stay well hydrated when you travel because people tend towards even blood clots because they are drying out so badly or they're immobile. So what you need to do when you're traveling is double down on practices that are stabilizing um, for the nervous system, such as eating at routine times, allowing yourself food as often as possible, food that is warm, well-cooked, easy to digest, staying warm, Um, is something that we don't think about when we travel, but warmth is really vital to vata. So packing a a scarf or a hoodie, wearing warm socks, getting really cozy and warm as we travel can be very pacifying to vata. There's a beautiful practice that we teach um, in our workshops called Abhyanga, um, which is Mm -hmm. a self-oil massage. And I always tell people when they're traveling to do Abhyanga twice a day. So do it once in the morning and once before bed. It's a self-oil massage of putting oil on the body. And that heavy, moist, oily substance really helps to contain vata. You know, vatas can be scattered and, and movement of travel can really aggravate vata. And so really doing a loving, warm oil massage can help balance vata um, as you're traveling. Oh, I can speak to that for sure. When you and I teach together our Warrior to Warrior workshops, and we do an afternoon where you lead everybody through Abhyanga. And, you know, of course, we're wearing shorts and our tank tops so we can get to as much skin as possible for those of us who are comfortable doing so. And the first time that you led me through a complete practice Afterwards, we offer Shavasana, this this yogic rest, and it was the most relaxed and the deepest closing meditation after a practice that I've ever had. I was very surprised mm-hmm. about the effects of simply intentionally offering our body a self-massage. Yes, yes. And it it is one of my favorite practices for myself and also to recommend to others um, because it is that loving conversation again that you're having with your body. As you are putting warm oil on your skin, consciously having that conversation with your body, you know, can be so soothing and so pacifying. You and I have mentioned a lot of different practices that each of us practice. What can you offer just a few very simple things for people that are listening and aren't familiar with Ayurveda, but they're interested? What are some simple rituals or practices, insights, and lifestyle guidelines that somebody could implement to make a shift? So just beginning to tiptoe into Ayurveda, I would say first maybe look at your routine in the morning and how could you create moments of silence in your routine? Um, We, we wake up and generally we hit the ground running with a thousand things to do and children to get out the door or partners to, you know, communicate with and tasks that begin to go through our mind immediately as our eyes open. And I would just say initially, 
not taking on too many things because we want these practices to be sustainable. But initially, maybe how could you begin to bring in moments of silence, whether it's your commute or from the time your eyes open until the time you walk out the door or um, maybe eating your breakfast in silence. So I would just begin to start small and sustainable. Bringing in moments of silence can really change the movement in the mind. Um, it allows our parasympathetic system to begin to activate so that we're digesting our food easier. Yes. And so to give an example of that, because we all have busy mornings and it's so tempting to reach for the phone immediately. And I absolutely do because there are things there that I'm working on. But to give an example of how we could build that into a busy morning, because I am making a child lunch and, and getting her out the door and starting my own work day. When I first opened my eyes, I've practiced taking just a moment to send some love into my day before I get there. This is um, inspired by Marianne Williamson, great spiritual teacher and author. Taking a moment to breathe and feel my body and send a little bit of love to my daughter and to my husband before I even get out of bed and go and meet them. Because you know, my daughter is 16 years old, it can be a, a challenging time. And sometimes when I open up my bedroom door, there's a, a lot of stressed energy coming from her. And so if I've already taken a moment to ground myself into wishing her well, a little loving kindness, you know, may, mm -hmm. may she be safe, may she be healthy, may she be mm. happy, may she live a life of ease. If I take a moment and offer that blessing to her and to my husband and to myself. I'm not saying that it's always successful, but it gives me that moment of quiet and that moment of t intention before I've stepped into my day. It's I've allowed myself to start with compassion, to start with love. So that's that's one way that I know I can manageably bring your practice into my life. What does your morning routine look like? I get up pretty early. I usually wake up about 3.40 in the morning Whoa. Um, to, yeah, <laughs> to start my day. That My life hasn't always looked like that, but as I've moved more into an Ayurvedic lifestyle, it's what suits me. It's not for everybody. Um, and I, I would really, you know, not tell you that that's for everybody. But for me, for my constitution, it works well. I do a little bit of the same. I I start with 10 deep breaths, 10 um, long inhales and exhales, and that helps to alive in me, awaken the body, clear the mind. And nobody else is up at that time. So it allows me that time and space of silence and to be very grounded and quiet before I start my day. I have many Ayurvedic practices, but the one that I would offer out is that I start the day drinking hot water and it ignites my digestion. It helps to clear toxins from the body. And I have found for my own digestion that it, I feel good when I do this. Um, I feel good when I awake that early and have that time before the rest of the world is awake. I walk my dog and I'm out in nature. I just really enjoy being out there before the rest of the world, mm -hmm. you know, before the noise and the traffic and the people, it, I find it's one of the best ways for me to, to then meet the world. Yeah, beautiful. And hot water 
has really worked for me as well. And so when it comes to you working with somebody as an Ayurvedic counselor, what does that look like? And how can people find you and work with you? I work with people one-on-one and in group settings, as well as, you know, the beautiful offerings that we offer to work with me one-on-one. Typically, it's a pretty um, lengthy intake process because myself and the client are really getting to know the client. Um, And sometimes it's the first time a client has had the opportunity to investigate their own tendencies or their preferences or their likes and dislikes. They could probably tell you a lot more about their loved one maybe than about their own preferences. And so the intake process is pretty lengthy. I think my intake forms are like 10 pages now of question of a questionnaire that they would fill out and send back to me before we would meet. And then our first meeting is really reviewing that and making sure that we both are clear on maybe what your long-term tendencies are, what imbalances you may be struggling with, what your goals are, what are you seeking by um, seeking advice from an Ayurvedic counselor or Ayurvedic practitioner. And then typically I ask that we meet every week or every other week to really create sustainable change in what your goals are. And sometimes each time we meet, you might not be given a new recommendation um, because really I want you to create lifelong changes that support your health and well-being. And so I don't overload people with 10,000 recommendations that they need to accomplish in 30 days because you know, we found that that doesn't work. You know, you might have a really impactful 30 days and then you're done for the next 11 months of the year. And that really doesn't create change. Small, gentle changes every week really are much longer lasting. We generally start with your digestion. You know, how are you eating? What are you eating? When are you eating? And then we move from there because so much of whatever they're struggling with might initiate in the digestion. You know, if they're struggling with chronic health issues or emotional disturbances, so much of that can be soothed by issues in the digestion. I see clients one-on-one or in group settings. Um, I run some group classes and workshops, and then as well as um, our offering that you and I do together um, with weekend retreats. If people are interested in working with me, I work either in person if they're in Central Ohio, or I also meet people from all over the country online via Zoom or FaceTime, video conferencing. Um, And that's worked really well because it provides access to Ayurveda um, that people might not have locally. So I can see people online um, live and, and that has worked great. If people are interested in working with me, I have a website. Um, they can find me at it's amypruitt.com. And I spell Amy a little bit differently. It's A-I-M-E-E-P-R-U-I-T-T.com. And there um, is all kinds of information on my website about how to work with me or the offerings that I have. And we'll include that website in our show notes, as well as a link to a doshic quiz to find out what your specific dosha is. And your website, amypruitt.com, is where people can register for our touring Warrior to Warrior workshop, where we blend uh, the paths of yoga and Ayurveda, yoga psychology, 
um, some Western science and the path of personal development as well. So it's a very rich offering that we unite to bring to people. And so far, the next one on the docket is coming up in February in Seattle. So if you happen to be in the Seattle area, we would love to see you. Or if you want to visit Seattle. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.